Hey everybody, welcome in. We say hello to you again here on the Big Talker 1700. Time to ratchet things up even higher because Zub Mahente from ESPN joins the program right here on the Big Talker 1700. Uh, Zubin, lots of to get into, even on your personal side, and we'll save that for a little later on in this conversation. Let's start with the draft tonight. And all of the rumblings now that you are hearing about teams trying to trade up or trade down, in your estimation, do you think that this Thursday night has a possibility to be absolutely crazy or not? I think so. I've been here in Des Moines since Monday, and I'll be here till tomorrow. So I'm a little bit out of the loop in terms of talking to people because I'm not at ESPN this week. The most fascinating thing to me has really been, I don't know if you guys concur with this, especially if, you know, DeAndre Ayton's self-proclaimed number one status comes true, and then you're wondering what the deal is with Porter and Doncic. To me, what I found most fascinating is the amount of people, I can't remember this in years past, where if you said to me, uh, all right, Trent, you're going to be the fourth overall pick in the NBA draft. Um, it's going to be good money. It'll be rookie-scale money, but it'll be really good money. It'll be a top-five pick and um, we're going to try to build around you. Only problem is you have to go to the Memphis Grizzlies. <laughs> and I have been so surprised. Because remember, yeah. the Grizzlies are a type of the grit and grind. Uh, you know, when Conley's healthy situation with Gasol, obviously it blew up with Fisdale. But this is an organization that has given teams fits in the playoffs. Golden State has had some fits with them. Other teams have had problems with them. They're a perennial 50-win team that obviously this season just completely fell off the map because of what happened with the Fisdale Gasol thing. And generally when it's coach versus player, player wins, player won here. Fisdale was able to bounce back, highly respected, got the Knicks job. But to me, Muhammad Bamba, I mean, pretty clearly said, I don't want to go to the Memphis Grizzlies. We heard this over the course of time. Eli didn't want to go to the Chargers and all that sort of stuff. And the swap happened. John Elway didn't want to go where he was drafted initially, the Baltimore, all that stuff. But to me, that's a real sign of concern because you've got Mike Conley, who's got one of the biggest contracts in NBA history. You've got Gasol, who they clearly decided we're going to opt with him over the coach. Um, the Chandler Parsons contract is something I just don't think they can get out of. He's played so sparingly and he's been so disappointing that this is a franchise that needs an infusion of something. And the fourth overall pick could give this fan base, great fan base, great basketball city, Memphis Tigers, Memphis Grizzlies, a lot of hope. And I'm just surprised at how many people have been clear about, I don't want to go there. I think it's a major, major concern whether the Grizz want to talk about it or not. Very odd, too. I, I understand it's a smaller market, but you remember back to the LeBron draft, what, uh, 14 years ago? And, well, the Grizzlies actually were the team, I believe, that had the best odds going into that one and how different things could be if they would have uh, got the ping-pong balls that would have went their way. But uh, guys saying they're not going to be there, and, and it's not just that. It's guys very outright about what they're going to be in the league, yet you listen to the evaluators and they say, there might not be a star that comes out of this draft. Is this just a, a change in bravado before they even get to the league? Or have we seen this a lot more than maybe sometimes our memory uh, brings us back to, Zubin? Yeah, I think a lot of it is the latter. I mean, if you look at Donovan Mitchell, he was picked 13th. I think if we redrafted, he wouldn't have been picked 13th. Giannis, I believe, was taken 15th overall in 2013. That's another one you'd love to have back, So. 
I, you know, I mean, there have been second-round picks uh, like Brogdon that's turned into the rookie of the year, Draymond Green, another guy that was taken very, very deep in the draft. So I think you kind of look at it and say to yourself, you know, what is the league becoming? And even though DeAndre Ayton seems like a tremendous, tremendous prospect, I think you could reasonably talk yourself out of somebody like that by saying, can he stretch the floor? Um, can he hit the outside shot? It's a three-point league. As a big guy, what can he give us in terms of range? So when you think back to Giannis being drafted in 2013 from a lower-level Greek team that people didn't even really know about him, the Milwaukee Bucks drafted Giannis, never uh, did a like, one-on-one with him in person. They went to scout him in Greece, but they never actually had to sit down with a one-on-one. So a lot of times you grab a guy in 2013, you have no idea what the league is going to turn into in 2018, and that's what's happened, right? I mean, they drafted him in 2013. He's been a great player, but the league is so different in 2013 than it is in 2018, extrapolate another five years or four years, what's this league going to look like in 2022 or 2023? And will DeAndre's skill set be more after that? Will Michael Porter's be more after that? Will Grayson Allen's be more after that? Will Trey Young's be more after that? Or will Marvin Bagley? Or will it be completely somebody else, like that Donovan Mitchell coming out of nowhere? So I think the idea is you draft now, and you have no idea where the league is going to go. If we were sitting here talking about the heydays, of, you know, Hakeem and Patrick and back to the basket and centers. And two decades later, those guys are being phased out of the league. I mean, look what's happened to Dwight Howard, right? This guy was like the guy you absolutely had to have three or four years ago. The Rockets went all in on him. It was a huge story. And now I don't think his skills have diminished. I don't think he's really the type of player he should be. His potential is much better than what it is, the type of player he's turned into. But the league has just gone away from players like Dwight Howard. So you draft tonight and you hope whoever your piece is when he's with you and blossoming in three to four years. I don't think you can expect too many Donovan Mitchells that are just going to be amazing Ben Ben Simmons out of the gate. But you just hope that when they round into the player you hope they are when you draft them, the league is still playing on that relative plane. And I think for Dwight Howard and others, it's just kind of been proven talent is one thing, but if it can't be properly executed, it doesn't mean anything. Zub Mahente is our guest on the Big Talker 1700. We're talking NBA draft. Zubin, there's a lot of conversation right now uh, with the Spurs about Kawhi Leonard. And looking at Ramona Shelburne, who you know, uh, and yeah. her latest tweet says the Lakers contacted the Spurs, but one source says they basically shut the door on us. I wouldn't think San Antonio, if they're going to make a deal for, on Kawhi Leonard, they don't want to keep him in the West, do they? I agree with you 100%. I don't think that would behoove them in any way, shape, or form. I think the bigger issue is that they don't have to trade him at all. You know, they do not have to trade him at all. I mean, I don't think anybody really knows how damaged the relationship is. It is worth pointing out that in the 20-plus years that Pop has been there, this is really the first sort of insurgent issue that has cropped up publicly. Now, I'm, I'm not naive enough to think that they haven't had problems and squabbles over the years that have just been kept in-house because the organization is so much bigger than just one player. But you're in a situation here where I don't think they have to do anything. If they tell Kawhi, you've got to come back and you've got to play for us, then Kawhi's going to kind of have to come back and play for them. I think he wants to exercise what a lot of players do, which is what happened with Kyrie last year. I don't want to play here. Trade me. The truth is they didn't have to trade Kyrie Irving. They just did. They just thought the situation was best, whether it's to appease LeBron or whether it's to appease Kyrie or give us a harmonious locker room or clubhouse, whatever the situation would be. So I agree. I don't think they would certainly move him to the West 
I don't think Pop is interested in making the Lakers a power again. I don't think that's part of his parting shot when he leaves the league eventually. I don't think he wants to prop up a team that's already had so many inherent advantages that the Spurs don't like the championships, the free agency, the glitz, the glamour, everything that San Antonio doesn't have, the Lakers have. And I don't think Pop is interested in putting him in a better position in any case. But I think at the end of the day, Jim, the biggest option is they don't have to do a thing. And maybe that is the answer. I think the answer is he's unhappy, move him, his trade value will never be higher. He played nine games this year. What if he comes back next year, doesn't look great, then you've obviously lost his top-shelf trade value, and you've got to get something, and it's going to be less than what you got before because Kawhi doesn't look the same. Plus, they know he's not happy there. They'll wait him out. Maybe they'll sign him as a free agent. But to me, I think the Spurs realize, not to use a basketball cliche here, but right now, clearly, the ball is in the Spurs' court, not Kawhi. Zuba Mahete joining us here as we take a look at the draft coming up this evening. And Zubin, we got the World Cup going on. Of course, baseball continues uh, throughout its long summer. Baseball, we've talked about this in the past, and it's become so regionalized. And where you work out at ESPN and working you know, up there, it's Yankees, Red Sox, obviously a, a big portion of that. No, there's theories out there that baseball needs to be more to connect back to a national audience. Is is there any hope for that, or has it just evolved and changed too much that it's just not a realistic scenario anymore? I think it's the latter. I think things can change in the World Series if you get the right teams, the right individuals, and the right storylines. I think you can catch message in a bottle and put that message in a bottle and then try to Make sure that lives for the month. You could row that baby down a river and hope for seven games. But I think in large part, you're not going to be able to. One stat that I think has caught a lot of people's attention, and I think it's just like a cool stat where people are saying, oh, that's a cool stat. But I think this is a real intrinsic problem with the game. In April, I believe, you probably have discussed this on your show, there were more strikeouts than hits. Mm -hmm. And in each of subsequent months, the number is getting crazy the number of strikeouts relative to the number of walks, or to the number of hits or walks. Now you could just say, relatively speaking, that's just pitching dominance. Pitching dominance has always worked in October. Why can't it work in April, May, June, July, August, and September? But I think the real issue is that I think her Tom Verducci said this, and I have a lot of respect for Tom, and I concur with this statement, which is when you have more strikeouts than base hits, um, you're in a situation where for a lot of younger people, and I, when I mean younger people, I'm talking like now, 45 and under. I'm not just talking like millennials or somebody that would identify baseball as their favorite sport in their mid-50s or 60s. I'm talking about a whole group of people that still have a lot of sports watching in front of them and younger people that are developing their habits. When you have more strikeouts than hits, there is literally nothing happening on the field. And that's what Verducci said. You've got pitcher to batter, caught by catcher. And other than that, there is a good chance nobody's on first, second, or third, and there is a relative lack of anything of consequence happening outside of the pitch. You can't get on base. There's no hit and runs. There's no double steals, and guys are just not getting on base in the manner they which did, and I think to a lot of people, maybe not to you. I know you watch the Twins every night, and you're locked into your team, but if you're a casual baseball observer, and you're telling me there's just a relative lack of action out on the diamond, it sounds very trite and very generic. But if you can't put people in position to score runs, have some sort of movement, then I think you're really going to be unable to capture the casual fan. Maybe there's a shift, the ball gets juiced, and people are on base a little bit more the rest of the year. I don't know. 
but I honestly believe the lack of activity going on during a game is a huge deterrent to a lot of people that want to like baseball but are trying to find something to like about it. Zub Mahente is our guest here on the Big Talker 1700. All right, let's kind of fly around then a little bit more. Uh, no football. But as far as the NFL camps, a lot of the starting dates uh, have been announced now. Zubin, will this be a different kind uh, of, of sort of, I guess, summer training camp? Will it, will it have a different vibe to it this year than maybe in the past couple of years? And the reason I ask that is because, A, what took place with the owners and their new policy on the anthem? B, the players that are now there and players that change teams. I'm just curious on some of your thoughts. Will it have just a different vibe to it than normal? I think so, but for a couple of other reasons. I think the national anthem thing will obviously become a story again, but I don't see it really happening very much in training camp. Obviously, you've got four exhibition games. The rosters yep. for the first two games are going to be much larger than they're obviously going to be. I mean, there's going to be 100 guys in camp for some teams, more than 100 guys. And some of them will obviously, you know, maybe take the field for a couple of snaps. Maybe they won't. And then obviously when cutdown day comes last year, if I'm not mistaken, guys, there was like 900 to 1,000 players cut on one day because instead of staggering out the cuts, they made them on one day. So I don't think the National Anthem situation is going to be such a big deal until the regular season starts because I think – both sides know that that's when the 24 million Americans will be tuning in on Sunday night on NBC. I mean, preseason football is a way to get attention. It is an opportunity to spread your message, whatever it may be. But I think most people understand today that you have to make your message heard or seen in front of the largest group of people available. And generally, that's going to be in the regular season. Even though football dominates our lives as sports fans, I still think there's a lot of people that sort of just dismiss the preseason and training camp altogether. So I don't think you would see a lot of national anthem stuff until we know that most Americans are locked in watching and following. I just think you're going to see something different because Gruden will be back. That's an interesting story. You're going to have a team that's never defended their Super Bowl title because they just won their first. You're going to see a true reaction to what it's like in New England. Uh, Seattle looks like they're entering a new phase. Uh, how will Jimmy Garoppolo look in his first full season as a starter? So I think there are stuff that's going on that are interesting enough just on those particular angles off the bat there. And I didn't even hit any of the local teams, like how will the Chiefs look with Mahomes, all that's out there. I think there's enough interesting, relevant, germane storylines where some of the other stuff that's definitely going to creep its head will have to wait a little bit. But there's enough good actual storylines uh, to get us through. And that's why I definitely think, and all these rookie quarterbacks, that's another big one, all the rookie quarterbacks that were drafted. So, yeah, it'll have a different feel. But I think uh, when it comes to the issues that are bigger than football, we're probably going to have to wait a while to see exactly how that manifests itself this year. Zubin, uh, before we let you run earlier today here on the Airwaves of 1700, my co-host Ken Miller threw out a theory. We were talking with Andy Garman, longtime sports director at KCCI, and uh, he will be done on August 3rd, moving on and a chance to spend some more time with his young family well, you're in town. You've been in Des Moines. And so Ken had this theory that popped into his mind that you were interviewing to take over at KCCI. Set the record straight. Ken Miller, is he on to something? 
Normally, I would say that Ken is uh, not onto something, and in this case, I would double down on it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, I do think Ken is onto something from time to time. No, on the latter part, no, I'm just here visiting. I loved it. I haven't been here in a really long time. I worked with Andy. You know, it's funny because Andy's one of those guys, if I'm not mistaken, he's probably been at KCCI for like 13 years, maybe. Yep. I want to say something like that. And I remember when I was covering Iowa, just to answer Ken's question, I'm so happy at ESPN. When I was a kid growing up in New Jersey, it was my dream to work at ESPN. So I'm really happy to be there, and I'd like to be there until uh, I can, you know, until, until the la- very last day, whenever that might be. I hope that's decades and decades away because I love what I do. But it's one of those things where Des Moines just happened to be part of my route to get to ESPN, and I'm really glad that it was. I mean, you, you, know, you talk to 10 people at ESPN, they'll tell you 10 different ways uh, they got there. And even, you know, somebody like Chris Hassel and myself, who both passed through Des Moines, we both had different paths, even though we passed through Des Moines. But Andy was a guy that he was at Kagan. I know, Trent, you're a little more of an Eastern Iowa guy. Yes. But uh, he was working at Kagan, which I believe is a CBS station, Channel 2, in Cedar Rapids. And we would see each other at Iowa press conferences. I don't know what day Kirk holds them anymore, but for us, it always used to be Tuesday, 11 o'clock sharp, in the Players Auditorium. And everybody from Central Iowa, everybody from the Des Moines Register, Quad City Times, Burlington, Hawkeye, all those publications, the TV stations, the radio stations would all congregate, and we'd all go out to eat at the Vine afterwards, old Chicago, and he was just one of the really nice guys. I just never really worked with him, and then he moved to Central Iowa, and by the time he had gotten to Central Iowa, I was close to leaving Central Iowa. So I'm happy for him and for Meredith, and I think he's done a great job there. Um, He's a Hawkeye, so I know there's a lot of built-in equity with your viewers. He's a Cubs fan, so I know there's a lot of built-in equity with a lot of the Central Iowa viewers just with those two teams. Uh, I'm flattered that Ken would say anything. I love Des Moines. I often speak glowingly of Des Moines because I think Des Moines is awesome. And it's almost as innocent uh, as that. And I'm going to be pretty upset when I have to get on my plane tomorrow at 3.58 to go back to work. But I'll probably be back next summer and every summer uh, after that. So I appreciate Ken shouting it out. But more than anything, uh, thanks for asking so I could just tell you what I thought about uh, Garmin. I think it'd be a really tough spot to fill. Pete Taylor sat there. Yes. Heidi Soliday became one of the first female sports directors in local TV news in America. And now you're talking about Andy Garmin uh, sitting at one of the highest rated stations in the country and certainly the dominant force in central Iowa for decades. And I can say that having worked at the competition. Uh, that's definitely a true statement. So there have been three amazing people that have sat in that chair. A legend, uh, a female barrier breaker, and a guy that's done it for 20 years. And Whoever does it next, I'm sure, will be in a position for a great run because it's a great place in a great city. So I appreciate Ken shouting that out, but I am beyond thrilled to be at ESPN, and I'm thrilled that Andy's going to be able to watch his kids do things and not have to worry about <laughs> missing things and being there on the weekend. So I'm sure it's great for him. And, uh, you know, I think whoever gets that job will enjoy it because it's a really plum job for somebody. It is. It is. Good stuff, Zubin. And setting the record straight, and now I can break the news to Ken that he was dead wrong. And, you know, I, I like to do that from time to time, maybe rub it in just a little bit. But it was a good theory at the very least. Zubin, great catching up with you again. We'll do it again soon. Okay, guys. Take care. I'll see you next week. That's Zubin Mahente joining us here. So there it is. The speculation is over, Jimmy B. Miller, yep. wrong again. <laughs> Doesn't shock me. Doesn't shock me. Look, uh, 
Zubin, uh, we talk from time to time, and he's absolutely correct. That was his dream job. He is living the dream. And so from that standpoint, no, he's going to come back to Iowa and visit friends, absolutely, but he is uh, not coming back to Des Moines to uh, work. So from that aspect, uh, you're right, Trent. That rumor now, even though it was uh, started by Ken Miller, not me, Ken Miller, not Trent, Ken Miller, uh, we always we always have fun, and so uh, why not why not uh, throw that out there? Because we had Zubin on, on the show today. We knew we were going to get him on, and he uh, cleaned the air uh, very quickly. With that, we need a break. We're coming back on the other side. We got Ken Silverstein checking in from Cleveland. What are the Cavs doing at eight? Wild speculation. We'll have more of that on the NBA draft next as we take you up until six o'clock. It's Jimmy B and TC. Welcome back, everybody. We continue right here on the Big Talker 1700. And, of course, the NBA draft is coming up shortly. Uh, we're going to head to Cleveland right now. Ken Silverstein joins us. He is our Big Ten Conference insider. And he also covers the NBA and, in particular, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Ken, welcome to the show. And if I say to you, the Cleveland Cavaliers are on the clock I'll give you a couple of scenarios, and you tell me where you believe they will go. A, they will make their selection. B, they will try to trade up. Or C, they will attempt to trade down and pick up an extra player here and there. What is the scenario? Can I add one more? (laughs) Sure. Can I add add letter D? I think they're going to pick, hopefully, someone who someone else wants. And they will trade that pick, that player. Let's say it's Colin Sexton out of Alabama, the point guard. Many people feel he's arguably the number one point guard or maybe the number two point guard, whether you like Trey Young better out of Oklahoma. That could be debated for a long time. And I look, they've got to do something to show, at least in my opinion, show LeBron James, because that's the only thing that matters, okay? All the rest of this stuff, don't matter, at least in area code 216. They'll make a difference. So I, I think they want Kimball Walker out of Charlotte and the Hornets. Um, I think he'd be a perfect fit. It would be a one-year run because he's a free agent uh, 12 months from now. Kevin Love has a player option, and he could leave 12 months from now. And assuming LeBron is a huge assumption, likes Kimball Walker, and I think he does, and they do make a deal for Kimball Walker, and they give up the eighth pick, whomever it may be, let's say Sexton or whomever, and whatever they else have to throw in to, to do the deal, then LeBron possibly likes that move, signs a two-year deal, but it's really only a one-year deal because it's a one-year deal with the second year being strictly a player option. So simply put, a year from now, if they make a move for someone like Kimba Walker, both Love, Kimba Walker, and LeBron James would all have the right to leave, either with a player option or strictly as a free agent. So um, it would be a one-year deal to go for it one more time to see if they can slay the Almighty Warriors. So we'll see. We'll know a lot more. Oh, let's see. It's going to start a little bit after 6 o'clock Central Time. I'd say 9, 10 o'clock tonight. We'll have a pretty good idea what they're doing. And if we don't know 100%, I think we'll know a lot more of which way they're leaning uh, in the next couple of weeks. 
There's been some talk about Cleveland possibly moving up. There's been a number of teams that have been named, maybe jumping into the top three, top four, something like that. What's the latest you're hearing in a possibility of moving out of that number eight position? I, I just don't. I just don't see how they can do it. Um, if they want to put Kevin Love in the deal, oh yeah, now mm-hmm. all of a sudden people start thinking, okay, this is legitimate. But the eight pick alone. I don't see what else they got on the roster <clears throat> that's going to be attractive enough to go from eight to, let's say, four or three, because I don't think they're going to get up to one or two. So um, there was a story yesterday where they're indicating, according to quote sources, that love is not going to be traded. They want love back. And whether LeBron leaves or LeBron stays, they want Kevin Love to at least be here one more season. And then, as I mentioned earlier, he's got a player option for 19-20. The only way I see them trading up is if they are willing to give up love. And I wouldn't do it because I don't think there's anybody at four that will convince LeBron to come back, number one. And number two, I don't think there's anybody at four that's going to be better than a five-time All-Star who still has a few years left in Kevin Love. Granted, he is injury-prone. So I've heard it. I've even had some people that I trust in the organization speculated, but I'm not buying it. I, I will be really surprised if they're able to trade up uh, anywhere above, let's say, number five. I'll even go, I won't even go at a four. I'll stay at five. I don't see it. Dallas is what, at five? I don't mm-hmm. see them having enough to trade up. Ken Silverstein is our guest. We're talking NBA draft with Ken right now on the Big Talker 1700. Ken, uh, you know, all the rumors that continue to circulate. Minnesota might be in the market to move down a little bit. Uh, you see some other deals. The Dwight Howard deal uh, traded to Brooklyn, and then Brooklyn says, well, we're going to uh, get a, cut a deal with him and cut him loose, so he's going to become a, a free agent. So uh, is this going to be a night where all hell breaks loose? Or is it just all smoke screens and it'll just go by draft list and that's it? Well, I think we'll know early, but that's not really answering your question. Usually when there's a lot of talk, not a whole bunch occurs, okay? Mm So I'm going to be a little suspicious and say there'll be some, a couple of moves, but I'm not sure there's going to be enough moves where even the casual fan says, oh, my goodness, look what the hoot is going on here. These teams are going up, down, down, up, and so forth. The one thing that makes this draft interesting is I'm not sure that there's a major difference between the second or third player, whomever you think the second or third player may be, and someone that's like 10 or 11. I really don't see a huge difference. And I don't know, outside of the number one player, uh, who's going to go to Phoenix out of the University of Arizona. Um, I don't know if there's anybody in this draft that is going to be five, seven, eight years from now on a, on a first name or a name recognition like Kobe, LeBron, um, someone of that magnitude. There's nobody, there's nobody like that in this draft. It's pretty deep, and that's good, particularly if you're picking around, let's say, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 in that ballpark. But I don't know. I don't think Bagley, who may go number two to Sacramento, is a really nice player. But I don't think he's, you know, worldly, okay? 
um, Trey Young, Sexton. Um, who else is going to go in the top five? The kid from Europe um, who's going to be probably a top four, top five pick. Uh, who else is going to be taken uh, really high? Um, the other kid out of Duke, the kid out of Kentucky, Knox. Um, these are nice players, but I don't think anybody is going to be iconic. And, um, you know, that's just the way it is. I mean, you're not going to get the LeBrons or the Kobe's and guys of that and Shaq and guys like that every X amount of year. These players are once every 10, 12, 15 years, and this draft doesn't have that kind of player. But, as I said earlier, you can. I think that's why teams are trying maybe to move up. They're sold on one guy. They're sitting around 12, 15, wherever they are, and they're thinking, well, we like one guy, and if we can move up to get him, then we're going to do it. Otherwise, we'll stand pat and get whoever the best player is at 12 or 13, 14, whatever team may be picking at that point. Over uh, from the NBA to a little NFL, and I saw Baker Mayfield went on with uh, the uh, blow horde formerly of ESPN and now with Fox Sports Radio, Colin Cowherd, and and defended some of the things that Cowherd has been calling out for. Baker Mayfield is a different kind of cat. How is he acclimating? What, What do you like or dislike from what you've seen initially here out of Baker Mayfield? Yeah, I've been in a couple of his sessions, including his quote, quote, introduction uh, news conference. I think he's done okay. Um, you know, lots of cliches, not a lot of introspective comments, which I'm not surprised by. Uh, I, you know, when someone is introspective at that age, I'm almost fall out of my chair. Uh, so um, no, I think he's done well. I haven't heard anything in regards to, quote, quote, doing silliness uh, with nightlife. Uh, so I think he's walked the straight and narrow. He's not running from the cops in Fayetteville, Arkansas, in hint, when he got in trouble. So um, I think he hopefully, with a capital H, uh, learned from that um, incident. And um, he's going to sit. Tyrod Taylor is going to be the guy. And depending on how well they play, and they're going to win some games this year. They're not going to go in 16 again, even though they do have the fifth toughest schedule on paper, quote, quote, in the NFL. So we'll see what that's uh, worthy of uh, at this point. Because, again, he's... Toughness schedules don't mean a whole bunch until you start playing some games and see how good, quote, these teams really uh, are. They're more a reflection on what they did this past season. So uh, I think in a nutshell, um, I think he's been, um, I I wouldn't say a choir boy, but I think he's handled his business as well as they would hope. And it wouldn't surprise me if they're four and, I don't know, four and ten with a couple weeks to go. And Tyrod Taylor is a free agent at the end of the year, and he's making sixteen and sixteen million dollars for Tyrod Taylor. Unbelievable! We all should be in the NFL at a quarterback yes. position. Um, so the long and the short is, I think he'll play at the end of the year. But I am, I have no idea. I'm not the biggest, I'm not the biggest booster. I didn't think, quite frankly, I wouldn't have taken him number one myself. I think I said that to you guys more than a few times, but they did. And they better be right, because if they're wrong, they're all going to have a tin can under a uh, under a highway bridge looking for another gig. Ken Silverstein is our guest on the Big Talker seventeen hundred. Staying with the Browns, not only do they have Baker Mayfield now, but Josh Gordon 
And the things that I'm hearing out of that camp, Ken, you you went through all the bad times with Flash Gordon. You you know you know what this guy the struggles that he has had. Is he back? And if he is, is he the wide receiver that everybody remembers when he had those great days? Well, he's a hell of a talent, and he's a physical freak. I mean, in a in a league of physical freaks, this guy. What's the old expression? When the first guy gets off the bus, he can intimidate you by just looking at him. Yeah, this guy comes off the bus, you go, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, he is a stud talent. But the resume in regards to drugs and alcohol are longer than both of my arms stretched out, put together. And one more flat tire, one more mishap, and he's gone. He's gone, 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 going, 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 gone. Um He's saying the right things. I worry about this six-week period uh, before training camp because that's when guys get in more trouble because they don't have the uh, heavy-duty regiment that the normal NFL regular season has uh, in regards to a Monday through Sunday schedule. So if he can get through these next five-and-a-half weeks now, I guess, because it's a Thursday, uh, then the odds improve Then maybe just maybe uh, he can um, beat the demons. But this is a young man who had trouble at Baylor. They kicked him out. He transferred to the University of Utah, never plays it down. They kick him out. He goes through the supplemental draft. Tom Heckard who would later be fired by the Browns, not because of that pick, but because of other issues. He decides to take him in the third round supplemental. Um, when he's played, for the most part, he's been all pro. But would I hold my breath? Counting on him? No, but these are the Cleveland Browns. And when you're always 16 and 1 and 31, yeah, let's just put it this way. They will, they will close their eyes and become very religious, praying that he is a good boy, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and, uh, a lot of teams wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole, but these are the Cleveland Browns. And when you're, when you're horrific, your morals and your... Your decision making in regards to what is um, the difference between right and wrong goes down the almighty drain uh, because you at this point better that better yet they um, they will say they care they don't they don't care they they got to win some games or they're all going to lose their jobs and so they're just hoping praying wishing hoping praying that he can somehow stay away from the weed. Stay away from the booze, stay away from other stuff, and any other combination that he shouldn't be touching. And we'll see. We'll know a lot more in 12 months. We'll see. Last thing for you here, Ken. We're talking with Ken Silverstein, taking a look at the Cavs draft tonight, a little Browns talk with him. And uh, a former Iowa Hawkeye who has played well, one of the few Browns that have played well the last few seasons, Christian Kirksey, saw that he threw out the uh, first pitch at an Indians game. But that he did. Not yeah. only did that, a great story. He lost his father while he was at the University of Iowa and hung out with a young man who had also lost his father. Christian Kirksey, not just a good football player, a real good guy. Yeah, he is. He's, he's become one of their leaders. And it's tough. When you're 1-31 the last two yeah. years, and quite frankly, outside of a tip field goal against San Diego on Christmas Eve in, uh, let's see, this is 18, 17, and 16, uh, they'd be 0-32. Okay, I'm, I'm serious. I'm serious. That ball was, uh, it wasn't Kirksey who tipped it. It was a young man who's a local product, Jamie Meter, 
uh, block a field goal for the Chargers that would have won the game in regulation, and uh, they'd be 0-32 rather than 1-31. Kirksey's been one of the bright spots on this team. He'll be a starter. Again, he's a tackling machine. Um, he's a good football player. He really is a good football player. Uh, they love him a whole bunch, and he's not a problem off the field. Uh, he's just he's just a guy you can count on. And when you're 131, you're looking for people you can count on, not only on the field but off the field. And Kirksey's done uh, a really good job, and he will be a starter this year. Knock on wood, he'll be healthy because they need him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he's one of their better picks. He wasn't a first-round pick, but uh, where they took him, that was a very nice pick, and he's had uh, um, a very nice career so far, and hopefully he'll play um, many more years to come. Knock on wood, he'll be healthy. Very good. Thanks as always, Ken. We'll do it again next week. Enjoy the draft. Look forward to it, guys. Ken Silverstein checking in with us from Cleveland as we are getting closer and closer, Jimmy B. And we're going to put mm-hmm. a cap on things next. I got uh, I got some numbers to throw at you. You want to make one final trip to the Connick Casino here today? I would love to do that. I love going to the Condon Casino. Yeah, the drinks are kind of weak. But other than that, it's a fun place. It's because you never pay your tab. That's the reason. Oh, oh, oh. Back okay, with more in a moment. The Connick kind of Casino is up next. Back oh, one final good. time. Jimmy B and TC on 1700 KBGG were presented in part by Christopher's Gold and Jewelry over on Merle Hay Road. And Jimmy B, well... A little gold, maybe a little chingling in your pocket as we get ready mm-hmm. for the draft tonight. And there are prop bets out there. You can bet on basically anything anymore, as you know. Number one pick, it seems it's been locked and loaded really throughout the day. And going back uh, over the last week or so, that DeAndre Ayton will be the number one pick. Is it Bagley at two? Or are you believing the uh, continued reports that are out there? I think Bagley will indeed go two. I, I think that that is a player that will definitely help the Sacramento Kings, not unless there's an offer in a trade, Trent, and they can secure a player who's under 25 and maybe land at number six or seven in, in, that, in that sort of uh, area to stay in that lottery uh, first round. But otherwise, I think they go Bagley. Yes, that's exactly where I think the Kings go. All right, a couple of props here for you that are still out there. And in fact, okay. a lot of the props have already been taken down. So if you're late, waiting to the last minute, uh, you are out of luck. Not looking good there. But there are still a few out there. Here's one for you. Di Vincenzo. We saw him in the yes. national championship game get hot and be just absolutely crazy. You can bet on his draft position. The over-under is 21.5. Pick 21, 21.5. Do you think he is picked in the first 21 picks or past pick 21? I think he's going to go right in that 19 to 21 area. That's where I think that he will go. Look, he was extremely impressive at the NBA Combine. And he's a freakish athlete. And from that standpoint, the way he can shoot it, defend it, pass it, I really think that he will indeed go before 21 and a half. I'm looking 18 to 21 right in that area for Dante DiVincenzo. Well, the odds on that one are minus 200, so you need to give me 200 just to win 100 back. Oh, man. Yeah. You didn't tell me that. Well, oh, hey, e- so, sometimes e- I got to <laughs> trick you a little bit. All right. Grayson <laughs> Allen. This is a simple one. 
Will Grayson Allen be a first-round pick? And here are the odds. I'll give them to you up front this time. Okay. If you bet yes, it's minus 300. you got to lay 300 to win 100 back. If you bet no, it's plus 210. Grayson Allen, is he a first-rounder tonight? I think that he will be a first-rounder, a late first-rounder. I think teams liked his workout. He can jump out of the gym. He's got over a 40-inch jump reach uh, when he was tested at the NBA Combine. Teams know that he can knock down shots from the outside, and he's a tough guy, too. I mean, he's a scrapper. We all know that. Despite some of the issues that he had, he still is a scrapper. I would love to take the money and say, no, he's not going to be a first-rounder. I believe he is late in the first round. Maybe Boston takes him. Okay, that seems like it could be a really good fit. Kind of, I mean, seems a little bit like Danny Ainge, doesn't he? Uh, yes, he's got that kind of Danny Ainge. I think he shoots it better than Ainge, even. And Ainge was a good shooter from the outside. But yes, if you were looking for for somebody, that's a that's a very good comparison. Philadelphia might be interested in him in the late uh, first round as well. J.J. Redick, I think, is on the last year of his deal. So that might be a possibility as well. All right, our final prop for Jim Brinson and we go to college football for it here at the Connick Casino, there are odds now out to make the college football playoff. Not win the national championship, but just make it. Just get in, be part of the final four. One, two, three, or four seed, doesn't matter. Just get in. No surprise, Alabama is the favorite. In fact, minus 240, you have to lay on that one. Clemson, minus 150. You get some plus numbers with Ohio State and Georgia, plus 125. And then it moves down from there. And included in the list is both Iowa and Iowa State. Jim, I'm giving you a free $100 marker to get into the college football playoff. You can either have Iowa State, who is 40 to 1, or Iowa, who is 60 to 1. Who are you using your $100 free play on to get into the college football playoff? Well, I think that it would be more difficult for Iowa to get in just because of what it's like in the Big Ten this coming season. And look, we all know how good Wisconsin is. You and I discussed that uh, yesterday. And then probably Iowa, it appears at least on paper, they're the second best team. But in the East, I don't think Iowa, if they were to get to the Big Ten Conference Championship game, I don't think they could win it against Ohio State, Michigan, or Penn State. Did you not so, watch football last year? I watched it. I watched it, but different circumstances. I know. I saw it, but that was last year. We're talking right now. So from the standpoint that Iowa State in the Big 12 we had this conversation as well where we think the Big 12, it's not going to be a so-called down year, but I think that Iowa State would have at least a better chance than Iowa to get through the Big 12. I don't think, I think the Big 12 is not as good as it has been, but there are quality teams, like five or six of them, with Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, TCU, Kansas State, Iowa State, I, you know, those teams are, would be all in the mix. I don't think either team, really, Iowa or Iowa State, realistically has a shot. But for this conversation, I would, I would favor the Cyclones over 
the Hawks just because I think that it's more of a scramble this year in the Big 12. Well, you're lucky we're out of time because I think you're on crazy pills, but we will pick this up another (laughs) time. We'll be back tomorrow here, Jimmy B and TC. We got high school baseball taking the airwaves bright and early tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. The Brent Prongy Classic back for another season here on 1700. Looking forward to that. A top 10 matchup with Van Meter and Carlisle in Game 2. Then Carlisle comes back and takes on Waukee in the second game. We'll have the coverage starting at 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. And then back with Jimmy B and TC from 4 until 6. Enjoy the NBA draft and everything else going on in the world of sports tonight. 